The Get Back Project, in January 1969, produced over 60 hours of film footage and more than 150 hours of audio recordings. Numerous editorial choices had to be made during the production of these films. Similarly, numerous editorial choices went into the making of these podcasts. Welcome to the When They Was Fab first look at Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back. Technical issues combined with the hour of recording resulted in the occasional subpar audio found within. Welcome to this week's When They Was Fab. I'm Ed Chin. John Stone is away, spending the holiday with his family like any normal person would do. But nobody has ever called me normal. We're back with part two of our first look at Peter Jackson's The Beatles' Get Back. I'm joined by Nick Anthony of the Winter of Discontent podcast. And we pick up our story with The Beatles at Primrose Hill. Or not. The idea of the show in the park, it sort of comes up, they get excited about it, and then we just get a single caption there saying, nope, they couldn't do it. Primrose Hill. They didn't explain that. I don't know. I'll have to, well, I'll get to it. I'll have to <laughs> dig, in, dig into that because that may be, um, maybe it was local authority or something like that put a stop to it. But yet, I mean, Hyde Park became uh, an event later in the year. And they were putting on free concerts quite regularly, weren't they, for a while? It would have been possible later had the Beatles continued. It would have been freezing, though, wouldn't it? And logistically, it would have been difficult as well. Although it would have been less cold than it was on the rooftop. Well, true, yeah. I do keep pointing out it was the warmest winter of the 60s. The previous year, it was so cold that Big Ben stopped working. (laughs) But probably, I mean, I, I'm in the UK, obviously, and, and we tend to have quite mild winters now. They didn't in those days. They were quite severe. He said in winter 1963, it felt like the world would freeze with John F. Kennedy and the Beatles. I have a story from my dad as well walking out with an umbrella and sta- in the snow and standing under a tree and this tree emptied its contents of snow onto it and destroyed his umbrella. We had a frozen sea. We had quite, yeah, we had quite quite severe winters in the 60s and then 
1969 was, uh, you can see it's not as bad because Lindsay Hogg's just in a suit, Paul's in a suit. A few people have wrapped themselves up. I think the wind was bad, wasn't it? Yeah. And that was that was mainly the problem. But, but it's very dramatic for John's hair. Then you see the, the, the coats that they're wearing during the whole sessions. Oh, it's cold in um, Apple. When they first go in there, they, they're complaining it's cold. I think the boilers were down in, in the basement. So they actually had to turn them on, warm the place up, and then turn them off so they could record. Yeah, I can't remember which book that was in. I've read a lot of books. But, I mean, considering how much recording would go on in that basement later, I guess they did figure out a way around it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much like that. Twickenham was weird as well for that, wasn't it? I think they went from, it was freezing cold, and then when the lights were on, they'd complain it was too hot. And that was the kind of technology. I dare say once they've got the lamps on for, for filming, it warmed up in the basement quite a bit. But, yeah, I mean, what you ten, tend to get from, I mean, it, that's all the most entertaining stuff, but it does give the impression that they, they couldn't take it seriously at all when they were recording down, down in the basement. You don't get a complete take without someone fooling around, do you? But, I mean, you know, again, that's part of the atmosphere. They're having fun. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's trying to convey. But at the same time, you do think, oh, it's, you know, small wonder they weren't getting anything done. They just can't stop, you know, goofing off. But it's never the perception of their sort of and the animosity between them. They're not like that. They can talk to each other, you know, and they can. And I think John creates a lot of the goodwill in their sort of, you know, in the way they work together. John is in a completely different place when they start in on Apple. I mean, you know, yeah. the lethargy is gone and he is fully behind the project. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even to the extent, and, the, and I'm glad they showed it, that Paul goes to a meeting and uh, he carries on rehearsing. Yeah, the other three keep going. You know, you talk about them fooling around, but there's that just gorgeous take of Bye Bye Love. Yeah. And but, that's one, uh, I guess, uh, again, you know the Nagras better than I do. Where is that on the Nagras? Have we had that? Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't come across that yet. <laughs> uh, the way I'm working is, is deliberately, and, I, and I, I say it right at the start, we're, um, we're, join me on this epic journey because uh, I'm going through it in real time. And I'm going in order, in sequence. I thought you, you would have listened to... Oh, I got as far as the 10th at one point. <laughs> so, yeah, I do have a, a, a little bit of a, a head start, but it's you can't absorb it in, in a whole chunk, can you? It's You've missed so much. That was the purpose of when I started to go through this, I thought I need to sort of dissect it in little pieces because um, you can get an overall feel but you're missing an awful lot, I think. And, and I wanted to be close enough to it to sense where things start to go wrong. I mean, it's, well, winding back a little bit, but when we go to the sixth, rehearsals start to get more angsty when they start, George asks, well, when, how long have we got? And Paul says 12 days. And then for a joke, John starts playing Don't Let Me Down Twice the Speed. But after that, once they know they've got a, a time limit, they start to get a bit more fraught with each other. So, and, and that, I think being against the clock does create some of that tension anyway. And it's, although it is strange that they still waste quite a lot of time, don't they? Uh, but again, I don't know how much of that is because they're being filmed. They know they need to wait for the cameras on occasion. They're mm. fully aware of what's going on. 
Uh, except when they weren't. I mean, Michael Lindsay Hogg is now telling the story of he would put tape over the red light and yeah. the cameraman would walk away. Yeah, and maybe that was because they did clown more, maybe when they knew they were being filmed. Perhaps that was the purpose that they wanted. They, at the time, they were making a documentary and they thought, well, we need something to be in it. So they, they felt like they needed to act up a little bit, potentially. I don't know exactly. Well, I tell you, what was interesting is some of the, the shots where Paul is looking directly at the camera. I didn't realise that was Ringo filming him. Yeah. When he's sitting at the piano, I thought that was interesting. That's why he's, when they say, oh, it's, it's focused on him, uh, you know, it's his film, but oh, the original Let It Be film. But that's he's not. He's looking past the camera. He's looking at Ringo. <laughs> yeah, the close-ups are, are pretty amazing, what's there. Mm. So every day... The, they weren't doing it like a conventional film. Obviously, they weren't. Do, they weren't doing wide shots and then close-ups. It was just whatever they could grab when they could grab it. Yeah, there's um, someone. Some shared um, cut it away, and it's one that slips past you if you're not watching. But there's an amazing sort of tracking shot of them circling the band at Twickenham, and they go all the way around them. And there's so many things like that that uh, I mean, I've, it it's of, one thing I want to explore a bit, but it's quite inspired, isn't it, by One Plus One. Jean-Luc Goddard film. Yeah, there, there's that uh, conversation in the original Let It Be, you know, with Paul and Michael and Z. Hogg. It's like, you know, it's great. We, we can have all sorts of tracking shots and the cameras will just zoom around and then come right into my face. And it's like, mm. uh, okay, I mean, I, you can see how they kind of tried to do that. Yeah, definitely from, I mean, even early in Apple, it's much better when we get to part three but you can see that there's still quite a lot of missing footage to match to the, the audio, isn't there? They still thought they were making a documentary to be a show. They were only shooting very short sections. The holes in part two, other than, so, okay, what's, what's happening with this live show and, and why did they not get Primrose Hill? It's what exactly is going on with the uh, TV show becoming a movie. And mm. you go and read some of the legal stuff. It's interesting what UA was doing. Uh, it ended up that Let It Be was not their third UA film. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had a separate deal for Let It Be. Yeah. Uh, I guess that that's a little bit of clawing getting involved with it by that point, though, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, you know, the internal stuff at UA was like the Beatles cannot sell their picture to somebody else or we will sue them. Then they went off and said, no, okay, this is not part of the three-picture deal. We'll, we'll count this as a separate deal. I think in... in, in a, yeah, so they effectively rejected the film then. Yeah. Well, is it that or is it, you know, there's the business of... Yoko mentions briefly, oh, Alan Klein owns half of MGM. Uh, apparently Klein was trying to shop, let it be to MGM. Mm. I heard her say that, and I was I was interested in whether that was just spin from Klein or whether that was oh, whether that was right. Half is probably an overstatement, but he was a shareholder, a significant shareholder in MGM. He was not a majority shareholder, but he was he, mm. he owned the stock. So, what Klein must have presented to MGM for it to have been rejected must have been pretty bad, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. 
but, yeah, I mean, I think um, there's a few characters in this in this story that need their own episode for for me to. Uh, I need to get into their backstory. I'm finding uh, Klein is fascinating, and um, Peter Brown is a strange character as well. He's he led it. He's still still going, but he's led quite a colourful life. Peter Brown just just dips in and out. As does Neil. You know, I thought we would have seen yeah. more Neil than we do here. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I was surprised by that. It's that. They tend to focus on Mal quite a lot, don't they? I mean, he's he's become a of course, Mal was a, there. A major supporting player, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he was there every day, and he, you know, he's the one they, they ran to. Mal, get me a bow tie. A fascination with uh, fashion as well. With George going, can you get someone to come along with, um, you know, some black slip-on <laughs> size eight, a variety of them? He couldn't go to the shops, could he? But you don't often see a repeat of um, clothing, do you? And even down to what Billy and Glenn Johns and... How many coats does Glenn Johns have? <laughs> Glenn Johns has a different coat on every day, doesn't he? Yeah, that white shaggy thing. Could there oh, be the Afghan. more 60s than that? Andy sunglasses. Kind of amazing. So that's the second part. You got some questions. There's still a lot of things left to be answered. But as presented, I think uh, it's the most musically complete section of the film yeah it takes you from their crisis and then really that's where the story begins isn't it really from from when they first walk into apple and how how they grow and then billy gets brought into the story and in in that chapter and and things gel i mean and and it's interesting that it's not a matter of billy joining them and then that's how they continue he's uh, he dips in and out for a little while doesn't he yeah well he, he's got two days there he's got the rehearsal uh for the lulu special and he's got actually got taped the thing the next day when you when you look at the timeline uh and when songs were introduced and how they become set in stone now but everything's completed very very quickly isn't it it might as well be please please be the album you know yeah Part two, yes, it's it's of a, it's on a similar vibe. I mean, definitive versions of, uh, say, um, Digger Pony and I've got a feeling one after nine oh nine are from the roof, and that's at the eleventh hour, isn't it? I mean, even George Martin points that out that, that everything here is a dress rehearsal. They're they're not quite getting the the enthusiasm. Although, I mean, there's a couple of things he says in there. One was, you know, well. He says, we'll, we'll just do it again and again and again and again. He says, you're attempted to say, oh, we'll learn it and then we'll do it all in one take, but we never do the one take, you know. Obviously, the yeah, end, there are performances edited together, but the, the way that they gel together, and, the, and they're a different sound, aren't they? How, how have they arrived at, from the White Album, which is only a few months before, how, how have they become a different band? Yeah. That's extraordinary. They're, <laughs> they're, they've got, some new equipment, but their feel has completely changed. Well, and George had learned a lot from his time with Dylan in the band. Yeah, he wants to bring that vibe to it, and he wants to bring a kind of soul vibe to them. Yeah, definitely. I said Billy gives them them a a groove. Again, we're jumping again. But in part three, when George is playing the piano for Old Brown Shoe, he switches and lets Billy play it. And Billy plays it in such a staccato way that Ringo doubles the drums to match it. 
and that becomes the finished version of it. That's interesting that what, what, what he contributed is, is it's all about feel. We're on to part three. And, you know, while at first glance you think, oh, this is all going to be about the rooftop. I mean, it is, but it isn't. No. No, there's still quite a lot to go on, isn't it? And and the, they're still introducing songs, aren't they? Yeah. That was the interest because Let It Be really doesn't make an appearance till this part. Long and Winding Road, the same. Well, um, but Long and Winding Road, the take is on that first day we get in part three, the Sunday. Yeah, no, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they don't consider it's finished. Yeah, exactly. Clint Johns likes it, um, but he says, you know, it it needs. They keep talking about the guitar is playing the um, the same as the the electric piano and the piano. They're all in the same register, and really, it needs some arranging. But Paul was really over the get back business. You know, ironic considering what Spectre would come and do to the song. But he's saying, "Oh yeah, it needs some overdubs. It needs some oh, so, yeah, it needs some strings, bit. doesn't it? That, yeah. that how ironic is that? Although maybe some George Martin strings would have been a bit more tasteful." Yeah, I mean, and Giles did a pretty good job peeling away a lot of that. So day one on in part three is the family day. That's that's the Heather footage which we've seen. How, how adorable is Heather? <laughs> well, and, and their and their family their family relationship as well is is it, uh, that you know is is lovely to see. I think it's very heartwarming. It's a shame that Heather is as reclusive as she is these days. I really kind of would have liked to hear her memories of the time mm. yeah she's entitled to her life isn't she so you know she doesn't have to tell us it's just like no you know <laughs> but we get kyoko out there telling us these stories it's like well i would have liked to have heard heather's version yeah there's um paul throwing her in the air it's terrifying <laughs> like, oh my god I, I can't watch you know the paul and linda thing you know he's already just such a good dad yeah, just automatically, isn't he? And where's Julian? You know, yeah. I guess Julian may have been off with Cynthia. Maybe he didn't want to come to the studio with his dad and Yoko. Yeah, it, we've got to be acrimonious, particularly during the divorce, didn't it? I think. Well, those divorced before Yoko, wasn't he? Uh, well, yeah. John tells us free at last. Yeah, we got that on film. It's lovely to see the film that goes with the quotes, even the more obscure ones that were on the um, the Glenn Johns Get Back mixer there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, although, I mean, by being one of us, Peter Jackson says, well, I've got to include everything that everybody's going to expect to be here somewhere. Yeah, that's the thing. I think from a fan's perspective, you can't fault it for, for the amount of detail. And as we said, you know, I think their attempt by putting that little synopsis at the beginning, they're attempting to make it accessible for a casual viewer. And I, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, obviously I'm... I'm someone who's going to be producing hundreds of hours of podcasts, but it's for a very specific audience. Well, it's like in the original Let It Be, when he throws in the uh, I Dig a Pygmy quote, it's like, why is this here? It has nothing to do with what's going on on either side of it. And no. he dig a pony. Yeah, yeah. Although it was, that was kind of, that's that's the reverse happened with Let It Be. They were using quotes from the film in the yeah. in the album. Now we're using quotes from the album in the film. <laughs> it's, well, it's slightly flipped on his it's, head. It's, it's it's weird because you got what did Glenn Johns use? Because Phil Spector was largely using what Glenn Johns used as far as the between songs chatter. Yeah, 
You know, he, he just yeah, I mean, that, the, the idea was to be a soundtrack and it was to capture yeah. that atmosphere, wasn't it? It, it wasn't a, a studio album. So the film didn't um, exist at that time. Even the rough edit didn't exist at that time. That didn't come yeah. until June or July. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And then you know, we, we get them talking about the Richie Cash, the home movie footage, and, and that's... That is amazing, isn't it? That is a, a jaw-dropping. To, and it's so clean as well, the footage. Although we, we'd gotten a little bit of that in anthology. Uh, the funny thing about that is, again, in the original Let It Be... Paul talking about that is just dropped in with no explanation or no reason here. It kind of makes some sense. They're talking yeah. about, you know, what footage do we have? What extended footage do we have of us together? And it's like, Oh, well I was just watching our home movies from, from Rishi cash <laughs> and Peter Jackson putting the John's footage over some of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, oh yeah. When he said, Oh yeah, it's gotta, it's gotta be a John says whenever we show this, it's gotta be, credited to me and then then they show it and yeah uh, they do it yeah different fonts and very very 60s fonts i might add of the time isn't it but yeah. but it's also that in that's recontextualized that whole conversation because it was only taken from one angle in the let it be film and it was also kind of cut as if john was being sarcastic towards paul which he isn't there is now a purpose for that conversation yeah exactly uh, yeah it seemed like oh Paul's just being a bore and John's just tolerating him, but he's not, he's, he's involved in it. When you never saw why Paul is laughing in that, see, when he says, Oh, yeah, I saw you walking with him. And then he starts laughing and you think, oh, well, what's that about? But, but John is, you know, giving this kind of expression of uh, uh, like he's being a, a student for the, for the Maharishi is so, it's nice to see. There's a couple of conversations. The other one is the, the infamous one that was, cut out of context on um, in the Let It Be film where they talk about George doesn't want to do any more movies and that's wrong. And then John's looking sort of blankly at him. But they kind of expand that and you get that John is considerably more active in that conversation than, you know, he's just listening at that point. But they, you know, it, it created this uh, view that he was just, you know, spaced out and um, dis- dis- disconnected and that's not the case. You know, he's attempting to convince Paul to go on the roof. Well, and that even goes down to, you know, we, we've got that photo of them listening back, which has always been interpreted as the, oh, this is them just having a miserable time together. It was even parodied in the uh, Simpsons episode. Yeah. The Homer's Barbershop Quartet. But you see it in context. It's like, no, they're not like, they're listening. <laughs> yeah. They're listening to a playback. Well, you're also, we want to make sure, is this the take? You know, have we got, has no one made a mistake? So you, everyone's got their eyes closed or they're really focused and they're listening through everything, you know? So, you know, I mean, if someone filmed you watching, <laughs> watching this documentary, you know, your expression would be pretty blank. And that's exactly what, what's going on there. You know, the, the amount that they care about what they're producing is I think fascinating is what Peter Jackson is saying that, you know, it's not the movie of a band breaking up. It's the movie of a band trying not to break up. They're trying to find their next direction. John kind of has an idea that maybe they should expand the band. George says, Oh, Dylan are joining a heartbeat. Although, <laughs> I cannot imagine that working. Yeah. Dylan versus John and Paul. Well, it's just like Clapton. 
okay, John, we're going to bring in Clapton. And, and as we now know from uh, the All Things Must Pass book, yeah, Clapton would have lasted about 12 minutes in the Beatles. Yeah, when he was interviewed in the, um, the George documentary, the Scorsese one, where, where he yeah. said, um, would you have joined? And he <laughs> laughs out loud, doesn't he? He just finds that hilarious. The whole concept is just ridiculous. Every yeah. interview that would ask him about, no, I've never heard that before. Yeah, well, they they like to to maintain their myths, uh, artists, don't they? You know, they've got their public persona, and for the sake of interviews and keeping a consistent story, they tend to say the same things over and over again. Well, and that's the thing about this documentary: while we're tearing down the myths, we're just as strongly building up new ones. Yes, true. The truth is the greatest myth of all. It seems. Yeah, the reality of. The creative process, I mean, that's it's very honest, I think, and that's what we're viewing. And and the fact that we have mythologized that into this great drama when, in fact, this is what creative people go through. Movies must be far more stressful. Well, Peter Jackson certainly understands the issues behind putting something together. Yeah, and you must, yeah, you're, you're attempting to piece things together and you must go with any artistic endeavor you there's an awful lot of despair (laughs) until it's finished it's like a painting isn't finished till the final stroke we are going to spend the next probably six or seven weeks we've decided going through an hour by hour of of this movie uh uh with with my regular co-host who is a musician by the way john stone i don't know how much you've listened to our show uh, yeah, I, I follow your show. Yes. Um, John spent a number of years as a professional musician. He's retired, but he's been still in the business of recording. I'm sure he will have a number of things to say. And then we've also invited a number of our other musician friends that I spoke of earlier. And they've, uh, they've for the most part, all agreed to come in for an hour. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's from, from my um, perspective, because I'm a so on an amateur level, I'm a, a musician as well, and and you can, from your experience working with with other musicians, there's nothing necessarily unusual about what's going on, aside from the fact that, like I said before, they're creating something from the ground up. So they're not learning songs; they're inventing songs. You know, and there's a lot of deep thinking going on into that. You know, and and that is what is causing the the sort of strain and the and the stress of it, and what what feels like I said about you know a painting not being finished till the final brushstroke. That's what's causing the anxiety for Paul, is he can't see what the final thing will look like. So he's very close to it, and he wants it to be complete, but he's got no idea what it will, the finished thing will look like, causing him a lot of self doubt. That's one of the discussions that you actually get in the box set, which they chose not to use here, you know, where uh, John and George are talking about. The things that have worked out best ever for us haven't really been planned any more than this has. You just go into something and it does it itself, you know, whatever it's going to be. Becomes that. See, it's turned down <clears throat> that for that, and it's not what Paul wants. Like, you know, it was. It's like if it's his, say it's his number. This whole show, well, it's turned. He's compromised, so he's actually turned into our number more than his number. That's all. 
Yeah, and, and that's uh, all right. Yeah, it's all right, but I mean, that's what's bugging you, really, because it's a different number, you know. It's turned into a rock number, right, as opposed to a quiet number or something, you know, like that. And uh, it's just that, really. That That's the sort of thing we're talking about here. Yeah, it's a, it's a good analogy. Yeah, he's, he's envisioned it one way, and it's it's gone... Uh, and part of that is his subjective view, isn't it? That it's gone, instead of allowing it to evolve, it's it, it's gone away from his vision. And he's a little bit resentful of that. It's funny. I mean, you know, so part three, it's Paul who's the one who is insecure. Very, yeah, yeah. You know, because he's gone out, he's out of his hands now. Yeah, the, the other three have basically gotten behind it and i mean you you, you still got michael Lindsay hogg there saying well what what's going on what, you know i don't have a story but ringo gets it it's like you're telling the beatles story yeah and that's all yeah i, I honestly think that, that that's true and and linda jumps in when paul paul goes in part two when paul goes to answer the phone to john and linda just leaps in and says I, as a fan i just want to see them play and they are enough, and they were enough, and even, and the rooftop proves it. Well, the, when they get together, the chemistry is just is just automatic. Yes and no. I mean, you know, they they <laughs> jump right in to get back, but they're they're still having a little bit of trouble when they first get on the roof. It takes them a good couple of minutes to to really get into it. Well, yeah, I think um, all bands have to warm up a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I'd say I, I, I play in a band, and we had the uh, the the pandemic, which caused us, you know, not to not to be in the same room for about a year. And when we first uh, went to a rehearsal, when we finally could, it, it was like we'd come unglued. <laughs> it just didn't sound like the same bunch of people. It was a very strange experience. It was and quite disheartening. Um, but yeah, what what bands tend to do um on an amateur level i mean professionals obviously get a chance to warm up but they tend to start with something easy and uh, they go straight in to get back and it does lurch a little bit at the start doesn't it yeah visually they it's inspiring isn't it oh absolutely. And when they start jumping around you know they, they get they get into it and turning footage that we've all seen a billion times into something new you know, Peter Jackson, I was worried about, okay, how are we going to do 42 minutes of the rooftop? You know, multiple takes of each song. And it's like, is this going to work? But it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I got your um, Woodstock analogy. I, I, totally. That was, um, yeah, using the multiple multiple angles, I think. Yeah, why not? And they've also tend, gone for, for angles that, w- that weren't in the film. Um, uh, dig a pony you only see john pull his guitar up by his you know uh, he pulls it sort of vertically but that's because george has got on his knees as a as a joke isn't he um but they've they've left that out that's in the other film and there's not nearly enough of billy preston no I, was he just not filmed i don't know Although you, you know the the overhead camera was on billy and you could see billy in the shots uh, in some of Paul's shots, yeah, you know, he's directly behind Paul. But 
I mean, for the most part, it seems the camera were on the four, which I, you know, I guess is correct. But you, they still had five cameras on the roof. You would think one of them would have been yeah. pretty consistently on a on a rear shot. Although there was no room, the the smokestack was like right up against it. Yeah, yeah, he's, he is kind of yeah, he is kind of crammed in there. Uh, that that was it. That was interesting as well. How fit is Paul in this thing? Well, what's he been working out? He's on the he's on the scaffolding. He climbs up on that um, on that chimney stack, doesn't he? Or well, that little that little bit. Uh, it's the stairwell, isn't it? Yeah, he did go shirtless in the Mad Day Out picture, so you know. Yeah. Maybe he's left over from that, and then. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. I had to laugh out loud at how they get Lindsay Hogg up on the roof as well. They just drag him bodily up there, don't they? The cigar doesn't fall out of his mouth. No, no, but he's just not as in shape, is he? So they just literally him and Mal just pull him and drag him along the along the ground. It's, it's brilliant. Um, but uh, yeah, the Orson Welles comment. I guess that was all the way back in part one. You had to laugh at that, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Now we know he's. Although that's that's never been proved, is it? <laughs> well, it's it, no. It's been proved that he is not Orson Welles' son. Oh yeah, oh, it has now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, okay. it, that that finally came out in the book. He, he believed that for a long time, though, didn't he? he? That, you know, at, at the time they didn't. He didn't know, or he supposedly didn't know who his father was, but his, his mother told him it was Orson Welles, and you yeah, know, he he liked to adopt that uh, look. I think it can't have done him any harm, can it? I suppose. Yeah. This is true. Back to the rooftop. <laughs> yeah. So, so the the rooftop is great. We see all the significant footage down on the ground, which we hadn't had before. Yeah, although you might might not necessarily hear it, but uh, there's some uh, ancient London accents in there. There's kind of a social history thing. The, the, young, the young girls, when they talk to them, and they go, fantastic, and they like, strange, strange almost country accent that they have. It's... Uh, it's uh, definitely a, just a period piece, really. Yeah. And then what we what we now can definitively say is they were done on the roof. They weren't going to be doing it anymore. There were five songs they could do on the roof. They were just stretching it out, waiting for the cops to come and force them to stop. Oh yeah, yeah. They had their bluff totally called the police, didn't they? They were they came in came in very strong with right. If you don't stop now, we're going to have to arrest people. And then they went, oh, hold on, we'll just go and check. Like, well, what? Why can't you just turn it down? So oh, we were filming. Oh yeah, but you could dub it on afterwards, and they go on off on a tangent. Yeah. Um, instead of like being resolute and saying, oh, "I'm not interested," you know, stop the music now. They they start getting into a debate with, it, and then they call for backup, don't they? Well, they're only young men, though, aren't they? They're only uh, you guys in their twenties. Some of them are. I mean, you know, there's a. There's the one uh, PC that they identify uh, who actually turned out to be uh, Diana's a bodyguard later in life. Oh, really? Yeah, I hadn't got that. There's uh, Beatles on the Roof, isn't it? It's a very good book for that. Yeah, the, the and Harrington, you know, we see so much more of him, which is great. I mean, after yeah. his book, The Redhead on the Roof. Yes, yeah, yeah, I read that. That's, that's fascinating as well. They actually did some interviews with those guys back when there was going to be a Let It Be release, uh, uh, I guess around 2000. Uh, Mark Lewis and tracked them, was the one who tracked them down and 
got them on film when he was still part of the uh, the Apple family. Yeah. But, yeah, that that'd be I mean if there were a DVD release or Blu-ray release, it'd be um be nice to have all that extra stuff, wouldn't it? Well, there will eventually be. I mean, there has to be, although uh Peter Jackson is being a little bit coy about what will be in it and whether Disney really wants them to put any extra material out. Yeah. You know, he, well, he's he said You might as well. I mean you might as well give us a lot. It, it would be nice uh, so everyone complained that we didn't get the full rooftop in the box set. And now we get the rooftop, but we get it with dialogue over it, don't we? And it, it would be nice to just not have that for once. Well, I mean, you know, they they had planned to do that back pre-COVID. Uh, EMI had actually sent out a memo to the various uh, divisions. It's like, we're putting out a Let It Be box set, and they even gave a date in 2020. It will consist of, and you know, one, two, three, four, five, the, the, the remastered, two discs of outtakes, the Glenn Johns disc, the complete rooftop. It's like, oh, that went away. And so the, the rumors about it was part of the deal with Disney are probably true. They did give mm. the exclusive rights to the entirety of the rooftop for whatever period of time. Yeah, yeah. It would be nice to have, although, uh, as as many people have pointed out, they kind of more or less nail all the all the songs in in the first take. Yeah, don't they? Or maybe that's just just our ears. I mean, the um, uh, the the other I've got a feeling is quite interesting. It's got a slightly different feel to it. Although John gets his words wrong, but who would have known that if you'd released it? And then, so they get off the rooftop, and you see them go down to the basement, and they're all very happy uh, listening to the playback. Yeah, well, the vibe's totally different from the. I mean, Glenn Glenn Johns is the takes that Glenn used. I think uh, are strange choices. So some people said they were placeholders. I don't know, I, but although there's there's a there's a, another theory that that he tended to go with takes where they mention him. We we joked about that as we went through the the Glenn Johns mix, but throughout this film, you count the number of times they say Glenn or Glennis. It's like, yeah, he does have an effect. He he fixes in my "Don't Let Me Down" episode. It's really he fixes that middle section by finally giving them a, a producer's a viewpoint. You know when they've struggled with backing vocals through it, and he and he and he actually gives them. A solution, and they listened to him, and it, and he did it with two of us as well, didn't he? Which you don't you don't really see there. It comes across as John's idea. Then they say they're going to finish after lunch. Then they change their mind, and, and over the closing credits, we get more uh, of the sort of separate camera angles of the last day, day twenty two, mm. where they actually finish the rest of the record. They're actually the credits. I mean, it's a shame that. Streaming services tend to tend to skip the credits, don't they, when they're running the series together? But the the music on those credits is, is fantastic. Disney Channel here on the last episode, they will typically play out the full credits. Oh yeah, on the last one. That's what I mean. So if you watched it, if you watch it across the three days, you'll see the full credits. But if you try and binge it, they'll run into each other. Which which you lose a bit on the experience from that. Except on the last day, you know, on, on the last part, you get the full credits. Yeah. Oh, we must, yeah. We'll bring up the message saying, 
you watch this. Do you want to watch something else? I'll bring it yeah. up to you in X number of seconds and then it counts down. And but uh, you know, so so that's that's where we're at. Uh, as we're gonna be starting a deep dive, uh, John and myself, with a lot of our friends over the Christmas holidays. You're gonna be continuing with Winter of Discontent with a lot am, of yeah. material and ideas coming up real mm. soon. Well, I'll be yeah, I'll be able to view um a lot of what's discussed and there's gonna be lifted out audio that I mean a lot of the time I spend going over and over and over a tiny bit I can't hear properly. I'm trying to listen either side just in case I can I can work out, you know, what they're saying. And some of that's been lifted out, which is which is gonna be great. You know, that's gonna help a great deal. <laughs> I want the entire lunch uh session streamed. You know, it doesn't even yeah. cut on disc, but give us the whole twenty-eight minutes, even if mm. like there's eight minutes in front, eight minutes back, which is not Beatles talking. I want the whole twenty-eight minutes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they're being that's interesting. There's their their honest relationship with each other. Their self-awareness, I think, is is interesting in that conversation as well. And and it's the difference between how they act in front of the cameras, you can see it then, and when they're when they're off guard, honest conversations as two friends, you know, and, and two uh, colleagues. And and they're, and they're reviewing their own kind of faults, I suppose, and foibles. You know, so that, that's been very interesting. The, the, and it, the fact that they know what the problem is, um, I think, is it, they must have always known what it was. They were just hoping they got away with it for long enough, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, in conclusion, this is as good as we'd hoped. The not wheeze may have some issues with it, but even them, you know, how could they complain? Maybe there should be a half as long cut for some of them, but why? We're getting what we want for once, you know, Not we're not getting a boldlerized or... It's not eight days a week. It's not the anthology CDs, is it, where, you, where you're not getting it raw you you're you were getting a sanitized version now you're getting as truthful as as you can you realistically do with with, with the material he's got and he clearly has lots of holes in the footage but he's still managing to tell a convincing story with him yeah i think this is certainly the best representation of the beatles we've had since anthology the dvd version of anthology the full version of anthology we've never been able to see them being themselves and for that extended length of time before you know um there, there isn't anything comparable there isn't oh, anything at all one of the other shows mentioned there's one other thing they could do because there's roughly 50 hours of footage from first u.s visit the mazels brothers and apple has bought the entire archive wow so you know maybe they could hand that over to peter jackson that wouldn't actually make a a wonderful bookend to get back. I love that film. It's just such a wonderful thing to happen to someone, isn't it? It just, and I think they're kind of, I mean, they handle it very well, but they must have been just stunned (laughs) that they didn't have to work for it. It was just suddenly just huge. 
Well, and the drama's there too, you know. They fly over, they're all excited. Then George gets deathly ill for a couple of days. Yeah. So yeah, you can you can tell it in a, a where you create that kind of uh storyline. Will will they won't they peril, you know, even though you know the answer, there's a there's a setback. Yeah, that would be lovely to see if they could if they can make make some more of that. And I don't want it colorized either. Indeed. But that's about the only other Beatle thing I could see which might be comparable to what's here. Yeah, that, that would be interesting because they're relatively sophisticated by 1969, aren't they? They're, um, they're grown men and they've uh, experienced an awful lot of the world. And they're drinking 1966 vintage wine. I noticed a bottle being opened up there. And I thought, so how much would that be worth now? And the, the bottles of Coca-Cola with new plastered all over. What was new about Coca-Cola in 1969? Oh, God, I have no idea. I, that's one. That's a detail I hadn't spotted. There's yeah. one for your musician friends, though. What is the what is the contact mic that George is using on his um, acoustic? Because he uses <laughs> it as a as a like a throat mic, like a, a fighter pilot would have had. <laughs> that's quite that's quite interesting. That uh, I'll be uh, I'd like to know what that was. Yeah, I, I'm sure we'll we will get into. Probably uh, one of those episodes will end up being mostly about gear porn, just because there's oh. so much of it here. Yes. Yeah, there's some extra guitars I didn't know existed as well. And Rocky coming up at the end of the uh, the Apple sessions. You know, just, just because most of those fo- photos are in black and white, I hadn't realized George pulled it back out before he started using it as a slide. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's using it for, um, what's he using it for? Let it be, isn't he, initially? Yeah. It's strange because the, the Rickerbacker comes out as well, isn't it? And with the paint job, it looks completely out of time with where they are now, doesn't it? And, yeah. it, and it's literally, you're only talking about just over a year. Yeah. But how quickly things are moved on. The world moves both faster and slower these days. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I, that, that's one of the things I put down. Is so much is different, but so much is exactly the same. You know, the, a lot of where the instruments are in that studio space and a lot of the, the fashions and the hairstyles of some of those guys, you can see, you know, young rock bands still looking like that. Well, and you know somebody's going to put together a video where they're aping the Get Back session. Oh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a load of good, good reference points in there now, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's always been Sullivan that they've, that they've kind of aped in their... Uh, setups for videos but you know now there's going to be a get back you know it's always been the rooftop but now you know somebody's going to build a set which looks vaguely like well twickenham would be easy to do but uh or vaguely like apple studios and yeah you know film it in the same way to whatever their song is and and start out with you know rough strumming into into the finished song all Mm. in five minutes but you do get you do get much more of a sense of the the geography, I think, of that that room, don't you? From from viewing all of this, Absolutely. you can see see where the wooden doors are. You can you understand who's sitting by who. The Let It Be film there was uh, there weren't enough long shots, I think, in 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 Apple. Yeah. Although that, again, that's that's strange. They built a, a whole piece of scaffolding at one end, haven't they? So they can film. Yeah. All right. Great. Thank you for doing this. I mean, you know, everyone across the board seems to be doing a their own all-star 
uh, get back Beetle Weekend. I'm I'm glad that I could manage to get one together that it worked out. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Ed. You see, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, staying up so late to talk to me as well. And and we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back soon, actually, because uh, we've got some some shows ready in the can, and John and I are also going to start in, like you say, on a, on our deep dive just real soon here. Yep, and I'm off to make uh, episodes 25 and a bit of episode 26 today. So, <laughs> yep. Um, talk, talk to y'all later. It doesn't stop, does it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim. Easter Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. So I've loved the Beatles ever since I was a kid, so there's no plan. It just happens to be that I got invited to do this, and not in a million years would I have ever said it said no. The fact that I loved the footage so much and fell in love with it when I saw it and fell in love with the humour and just the historical rarity of it and the fact that it was entertaining. It wasn't miserable. You know, it shows drama. It shows a plan that goes, that derails, and it shows how they're reacting to a crisis. It has, you know, it's not all plain sailing, but it's incredibly entertaining to watch the rushes. I thought, well, if these outtakes are entertaining, I should be able to somehow knock together a, a, a reasonably good movie for, from these out. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.